Let's go, boys. The Street Press Podcast with Sean Fraser. For a start, there are not enough white men doing podcasts. I've got to always support that when that comes along. I was talking to a mate today at a baby queue. We didn't cook a baby. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that yeah. was. I just want to thank you. Yeah, no, it was me. He wouldn't shake our hand until he finished putting on his glove. Imagine what he's like during the pandemic. <laughs> well, I got you here for the podcast after your big night last oh. night, so I'm stoked with that. I get a thrill knowing that you're doing what you're doing. That's good. Well, I don't know what I'm doing today. We're just sort of just winging it. Did you moon Kylie Minogue? Yeah. Yes, hello. Welcome back for another instalment of the Street Press podcast. My name is Sean Fraser. Hey, you might be only here for the first time. And if you are, this is all about music. I bring on an artist each week and we talk about all types of things. We just chew the fat about anything. Uh, Their lives, music, the things they've done in their career. I rock up and we turn on the microphones and we just start chatting about absolutely whatever. Um, and I sort of let the artists lead me down the path of knowledge. They can tell me anything they want, and yeah, it's a very relaxed kind of chat. I'm heaps pumped about this episode coming up. He is one of the nicest guys that you'll ever meet in the music industry. His name is Tim Carr. Now, he is a producer. He also writes songs. He writes music as well. He drops beats. He does it all. Now, Tim Carr is probably best known for his work helping Matt Corby on his breakout EP, into the flame now that was released in 2011 it had a single on there called brother brother went mainstream it blew up it was in the triple j hottest 100 it came in at number three somebody that i used to know by gautier won that year so uh that all that song went on to become the grammy winner and lonely boy came in second uh that's obviously by the black keys but that goes to show the caliber that um had those two songs not been in the in the running brother would have been the winner that year because it was such a big big song and uh tim carr obviously helped with that we chat about that time and whether he knew that the song was going to be uh, such a big success. Tim's worked with some of the biggest artists that you could imagine. Jay-Z, he's worked with him. He's worked with the Black Eyed Peas. Um, he's even rubbed shoulders with Snoop Dogg. And uh, we have all of that coming up in the interview, as well as the time that he met uh, Beyonce and he was a little red face. <laughs> I would be too. I met Tim, I think it was 2017. I went to One Flight Up Studios in St. Peter's and I wanted to record a song. So I've, I've walked in there that day and I, I spoke to Nick, who was who still runs the studio, and I said, mate, I would like to record a song here one day. Uh, how do we get that happening? And he put me on to a producer and he said, yep, you book in the day and uh, we'll get you recording. Then I got a call back a couple of weeks later, I reckon two days before I was supposed to head into the studio with this producer. And Nick tells me, oh, he's unavailable now. I think he was double booked. It was something like that. And he said, but we've got another producer here that you can work with. His name is Tim Carr. And my ears pricked up then because I remember my brother talking to me. He's he's an audio engineer as well. And he was telling me about Tim Carr and how much success he's had. And I thought, holy shit, in two days' time, I'm going to be working with the Tim Carr. And there we were on the Saturday in the studio together. I'm showing him my songs that I've written on my acoustic guitar. And before you know it, we're starting to record them. And in that first day on that Saturday, I think I was only there to do one single, but I just kept playing these songs. And I think we recorded the bed to nine songs. So the bed is obviously the music. So I had acoustic guitars. I had the bass down. He was working on the drums for me. And by the end of that Saturday, we'd recorded nine songs, no vocals yet. And I said, oh, well, 
I'll have to book in again because we've got to do a vocal session now. And Tim was cool for that. So I think the following weekend we were back in the studio and I only had a few ideas for those nine songs. Little did I know at the time, but I'd signed myself up for basically 18 months of recording because once we kept working on these songs, I just kept coming back in with new ideas that I wanted to add to these songs. And we were sort of looking at each other going, oh, well, I guess we're going to end up releasing an album. It was such a, an amazing time. And, and Tim and I, we have kept in contact ever since. And we always worked well together. Uh, he was always very patient with me. And like I said, he's a really decent fella. And I, I was so keen to hear his story and I told him about this podcast and I said, can I come around and, and interview you? Uh, we wanted to do it in the studio, but uh, it was all booked out, which is good to hear because uh, the studios were, were vacant right through the pandemic. So it's good to know that they're being booked out. I ended up heading to his house and, and that was nice. It was a nice experience. He made me a coffee and um, we got stuck into this interview. So without further ado, here is my interview with Tim Carr, the producer extraordinaire. Tim Carr, here G'day. we go. We are we are we are live on the podcast. Bit of a maze to get here uh, <laughs> to your to your joint. Suburban maze. <laughs> That's a nice joint you got here. It's very good. Thanks. I built it myself. Yeah, you did. Yeah, the back, apartment block. The whole back thing. Back in 2016. Yeah, no. <laughs> Someone did. Taylor's Walk did. I guess. I tell you what. When I was on my way over here, I was thinking you remind me of these really good burgers. <laughs> You know why? Okay, let, let me say why. I've heard this before. Yeah. <laughs> when um, we were recording together all those years ago, we used to go and get those really nice uh, southern fried yep, chicken burgers. Yep. Do you remember them? I do. I remember them. It's still a thing. It's still the holy grail for people. <laughs> yeah. So um, so whenever I someone says to me, oh, there's, there's a really good burger joint, go check out this burger joint, and we could be anywhere. I could be up in Cairns. I could be in Melbourne, whatever. And every time I bite into it, I think about the best burger I've ever had, and that was the burger that I always had with you. You, you think of me when you, every <laughs> yes. time you eat a good burger. Every, I like it. I like every it. time I have a burger, how have you been? What have you been doing? Well, I mean, look, I'm a reasonably boring creature. <laughs> I uh, I make music, and I look after my kids. Yep. I try and be some type of husband for my wife. And that's what I've been doing, just making music and being a dad. And I wrote a lot through that pandemic. Uh, I saw, I think like this year I've come back to more just working. I haven't been writing as much. I mean, I also wrote a lot of my own stuff. I made a record with a really good mate of mine, Paul Conrad. And that was like a really kind of, we just both went in with nothing. And, you know, he'd play me some riffs and ideas and we kind of, you know, jammed together and end up writing some cool stuff with him. There's definitely something since the pandemic started and there's a lot of people that are doing the home studio. Yeah. Um, sheerly because they were locked up for so long. But obviously then there's the other side of it and I always think about studios such as uh, One Flight Up where you work. Um, mm -hmm. When you're in a real studio with a real good producer, <laughs> that's when you get the the best comes out of you. The only thing is the, is the, is the cost of yeah. money. Yeah. Look, I think – and I think sometimes just that – um, constant thought about, you know, funds can really take away from the creativity. And sometimes for some people, it's better to scrap that little bit of extra professional or quality or whatever you want to call it. And they're totally in their niche in their room. And, you know, like, I mean, look at um, Flume. Like he blew up from his bedroom 
I couldn't hear those songs any other way, really. So I think it just depends on who you are and where you're at and what you're looking for. But I definitely think with like technology now, it's you can get really good stuff at home. I mean, I know people that make records at home that will bring it to me to mix and I I can't tell the difference and I like to think my wow, ears so are some. Well, there's people out there that can really work the technology and don't need, you know, a million dollar studio can get a product in their bedroom that's competitive and I mean everyone like a lot of people are doing it these days yeah which yeah I mean for my industry is a little bit of another nail in the coffin but you learn to adapt you've got to like if you've got skills you can do anything especially now you find people that are super talented and can use these machines better than I can when I was recording with you in 2019 actually we recorded for like a a solid year I think it feels like we were recording for a few years I don't know (laughs) my memory I mean like we did it in blocks and I've just mixed up since about 2016 I think we did it was such a great um experience but there was was one there was one thing that came out of that um I I started filming then like filming the experience and I remember I did this little video where I explained uh, you know you know what you do and how you've been helping me and whatnot I remember coming to the studio one day and you were like oh that was cool that you mentioned me in your video now my mum and dad know what I do (laughs) (laughs) yeah they still probably don't though (laughs) but there are people that um they might be listening to this podcast. Um, I mean, there's a lot of musicians that'd be listening to this podcast, but they'd just be yeah, average Joes as well. And mm. they'd be like, what does the producer do? Yeah, I mean, it's what I thought. Like, what could you possibly do? The band plays the song and then you just listen to the CD, right? Yeah, and I, I suppose <laughs> we can we can explain that. I mean, uh, someone like me did come in. There was a lot of times I came in not prepared. It was almost basically over to you. Yeah, I mean, but look, that's what I do. So that's never like a curveball for me or anything. And it's nice, like if you've got 11, 12 songs and eight of them are completely thought out and you're like, here's three, you can have some fun. Yeah. I mean, that's always fun for me. I mean, it might not end up being the, the way we go or it might completely reshape the record. I, I remember there'd be days where I'd come in and I'd be like, oh, I think we should just like redo the whole verse and the whole chorus and write new words and like, you know, and and you were always like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. It's part of the process though. I mean, that's the thing. If you're doing it in a block and you feel like you've got to get it all done in five days or however many days you set aside, I mean, sometimes it's nice to put those limitations on yourself for sure, but it's not always the way. And if you've got that time, then you can reflect and be like, this is great, but if I could redo that verse, because I think I've lyrically found a new spot that makes more sense or melodically I found something in myself that I think would be a way better sell for the, the melody in the verse, then why not do it? Yeah. So, um, What got you into producing? So I did the band thing. I was in a band, like a, a sort of a hardcore band. And that's when it was like super serious for me yeah. though, ironically. Our guitarist had a really awesome jam spot that was just always set up. And I got a four track off a housemate. And I've slowly, slowly learned how to use that, just recording our jams. And that really piqued an interest for me. I think another friend wanted to make a demo and I recorded his demo for him and it actually turned out okay. And then another guy wanted a demo and it kind of started taking off and I thought, hmm. And they those jobs just keep coming. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how you just sort of, they tell someone mm, else, yeah, they yeah. tell someone else. Well, it's great, old school word yeah, of Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, that, I'm from like Orange, which is a reasonably small country town uh it was then it's a bit bigger now it's got a bit of a bigger feel these days 
But, um, yeah, I mean, there wasn't anyone really doing it. So, you know, of course, if you do one guy's demo and they show their friend, it's like, oh, I'll get a demo done. So it was kind of cool. I did feel like king demo guy for a little bit at the end there. You must think back on those days when you're working on a four track and you're only working with, you know, a couple of friends and then you sort of, you go on and you, you end up working with um, some of the best artists in Australia, not just Australia, but uh, around the world as well. I mean, you spent some time working with Matt Corby. I mean, you released a hit. Yeah, we did. We made a hit. That was cool. That was a. I mean, he probably saw it coming. I didn't. I was just there for the ride, just a yeah. bit of fun. But so he's finished up the show. He was on a on a singing show, and then yeah. he's jumped in the studio to sort of recreate himself. I suppose. I think he. Yeah. I think he didn't want to be the the show guy, the guy that came off a TV show, and um, he's come to you with with some awesome songs in this EP. It was an EP, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, like you obviously had more than an EP worth of songs, but there was a collection of songs that they collectively, like him and his team, were pretty settled on. And that was kind of, you know, do we want to weed those down to less? But I think they I think they all ended up the ones that everyone picked. But he's, I mean, you, you know, he's a mega talented dude. He can re, rebirth his, you know, sound whenever he wants. He kind of has for every record, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Credit to him. The song, brother. Mm-hmm. When you listen to it, it's it's so haunting, and I and I mean, he can he can make that song haunting on his own live, but there's something added to that in that mix, in that production. When you listen to it, just the way his voice mm. wails and 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 the, and the space, in yeah. That recording. I mean, we really lent into the space for all that record. We we had like the old three hundred one. We had the massive sort of live orchestral room. We wanted to really use that. We didn't want to use like fake reverbs if we could because we had this space. So we just had kind of mics everywhere because Matt is very mobile. He didn't really want to sit in one place. Yeah. And I think it placed third in Triple J Hottest 100. Like it was a huge song and yeah, Aria nominated, yeah, right? Yeah, he won an Aria for yeah. something, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I know. I should follow all the stats and stuff. <laughs> I love more. that you. Well, I love that you kind of know. Well, I mean, I know because you know you might get a phone call from someone like, "Oh, yeah. congratulations!" And you're like, "What? What happened?" It, no, I watched the Arias. I did watch the Arias because I was like, "What? Imagine if he wins. That'd be really cool." And he mm. did, and I was like, "He'll thank me." And he was just like, "Thanks to everyone. You know who you are." And I was like, <laughs> "I know who I am. It's fine." That was about the the height of me tuning in. I was like, "I'll never tune in again." Yeah. I don't need the heartbreak of not being... Not being... Yeah, no, I'm just... Oh, you've got plenty of years to come. Yeah, you got I plenty just, of songs to produce. But what changed for you after that? Everyone wanted a, a song like Brother, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, I, I definitely got a few, like, more label work after that. Um, it, it's hard because everyone expects, like, you're going to make them a, a hit, like an aria. And, I mean, that wasn't what we were trying to do. It was just, like I said, we were trying to capture moments. And I know it sounds sappy, but that's... I'm more into that than, like you know, keeping up with trends and mm. predicting what will sound good on the radio. I just like to go for what feels right. And I think that works for a lot of artists. And he was just in a spot where it all came together and we could edit it down into radio formatable kind of goodness. So, Did you think it was going to be a hit? I thought there was like a bluesy number on there. I can't remember what it's called. It's terrible, but not the song. My memory is terrible. And I thought that's going to be his single. That's going to be the Matt Corby sort of song from this album. So I was surprised that that was the sort of lead and the standout definitely, but in a good way, just like, Oh wow, that's cool. Like didn't even try and we did something great. Um, Is he a one take wonder? Oh, look, it could be for my standards, but no, he's very meticulous. And like, I mean, that was, 
the most time we spent was vocals. Like we were mixing and he'd be like, I, I need to redo. Yeah, right. So, so the mixing process is is after the tracking process, you sort of – you want to be done with the tracking or doing your vocals yeah. by the time that you're mixing and uh, you get to that part and he'd go, we need to go back a step. Yeah, and I mean, Jen, like we were in a mixing studio so it wasn't super set up for recording as well. So it was kind of a curveball but, you know, we – couple of phone calls and you can set it up but yeah it was like slightly inopportune time but I mean look if he's if he's got to do it he's got to do it it was more I suppose letting him just make sure that he was giving what he felt was the best and if he knew he tried like if he goes I've got one more thing I want to try and if it doesn't work at least I know I tried and I think you know as a producer you gotta let if you stop artists doing that even if it's absolutely like annoying where you're at it's it just creates a blockage in the relationship that are coming from I've been an artist and I know how it feels to have engineers or producers shutting you down. Another talent that you have, uh, you can make anyone sort of feel relaxed in the studio and I felt that um, firsthand. Oh, good. Thanks, so mate. that is so important for an artist who is trying to get their best work out there um, to, to know that <laughs> the producer's not throwing things at them or, yeah. you know, you're a very chill sort of dude. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm back in 10 years and I might be. <laughs> no, look, I, I think... I think in life that that is just kind of the way to go for me. That's how I try and you want people to be comfortable, you know, happy, relaxed, at their best, not stressed, worried, not knowing how you feel or whatever. So I, I find that's the best way to be. You are a very humble kind of fella. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, your career is also, it wasn't just all Matt Corby. I mean, the likes of Jay-Z, you've, uh, you've worked with him too. Well, I mean, so I, like I did a, a good run at Studios 301 when I came out of the college out of SAE, I got the internship, which I was lucky enough for that to turn into a job within a few months. And then, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, the place in Australia when massive artists come over from any other country if they want a studio in Sydney, that was the place to go. So I did get to cut my teeth on some pretty cool and exciting projects and meet some heroes. And, yeah, I mean, it was pretty cool, really. When someone like him... Yeah, he's standing in front of you, sort of working away. What's that like? Like, do you have that moment where you where you think back to that cassette that you were you're working on with your friends and go, "Hang on a second, how am I, how has this all happened?" I do. I mean, it's it's weird how natural of a process it's been. I mean, I've worked really hard, but also, you know, once you find your groove in life, I think there's no stopping you. You know, it feels like a downhill roll most of the way. Sometimes it's uphill, but... You don't have any doubts where you're like, oh, should I be here with Jamie? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I still have those doubts. Yeah, man, like, I'm only human. Like, you kind of... You're only as good as the last thing you've done, and if you've been quiet for a month, it's kind of hard to remember what that is, and, you know, are you going to... Is the next thing going to be good enough for you to kind of rest on when it's done? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I know what you mean. By the time I was getting to those kind of jobs, I think I was so – I'd spent the first year pretending not to be starstruck because, you know, the first year I was there, it was just band, celebrity, band, celebrity, actors, everyone. And Studio 301 is the studio in, in Australia. Yeah, it's, it's a massive, massive scale, professional, multi-room, you know, like it's what – every studio was in the 80s basically and I mean it's just the space you know you've got a bunch of rooms a bunch of creatives people that can run for you so it's a good spot for people to come even if like we've had Snoop come in a bunch of times and not really do a lot of work just kind of hang out make some beats there's so many people that would be like Snoop 
Oh, oh easy, easy yeah. Mouth. I mean, like, you do. Like, even when you're not doing it, because you're not going to do it, you're at work, but you're just like, man, I am talking to Snoop, Snoop Dogg. He's watching the cricket right now and standing <laughs> next to me. Like, you're like this That's is amazing. That's a funny thing to think of. Snoop Dogg sitting there watching cricket. Man, he's, is- he's loving it. He's like, I don't understand it, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I remember you telling me, um, how do I set this up? Producers write songs, they mix stuff, they get things sounding really good, but there's another thing that happens with producers, and that's sitting around waiting to doing nothing. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Especially at the big studios, right? Mm-hmm. You're sitting around waiting for, for big acts to arrive and sometimes they don't even turn up. Yeah, and look, I mean, that's that's from the, you know, the assistant to the engineer to the Grammy-winning producer from, that's flown over from the state. Like, yeah, it's just sometimes it's like, well, Jay-Z's not coming in now. you got to wait to see if he's coming in later or... Maybe they'll reschedule the next day at the last minute. Like, <laughs> And, I mean, you're talking days on end sometimes. I've spent like three days away. I think it was Black Eyed Peas actually. I had a couple of power naps when the V would run out. But, yeah, just heart palpitations. Okay, so you get a call. Black Eyed Peas are coming in. They're going to come into the studio anytime between now and next week. Is mm-hmm. that it? Yeah, man. Yeah, so it's like – I mean, that happened a few times. But when they turn up, you're so glad you waited. You like you forget that you'd waited three days because that was one of the most <laughs> – like they turn up about four in the morning this is the one I did a live band uh, which I think was George Payon the lead the guitarist the leader of the band who's just you know was just the most phenomenal guitarist I'd ever witnessed and just a a mind just a producer mind a songwriter they turn up at I think it was about 4 4 30 a.m load in and we had some really dodgy instruments because we didn't know what they wanted to do so I had like a really bad pearl masters or maybe cheap I can't remember what it was like a cheap kit my kit basically some amps and stuff I remember the drummer walked in and just cracked up he's like is this is this serious I'm like oh man I just figured you'd bring in your own kids like oh let me play it and he plays like it's actually playing really nice and he loved it but then they just tore up like played and he wrote maybe four or five tunes by eight o'clock in the morning start to finish parts in there and one of them was like this he's like I want to write a FIFA theme. I want to try and get a FIFA theme. So they wrote this kind of cool, you know, Brazilian sort of sounding. I don't know what Brazilian sounding is, but it made me feel like I was in Brazil. Um, And then like pitched that to FIFA and like just all this cool stuff. And you're just like, that was the most amazing session I'd ever done. And just like the nicest dude. Obviously they're phenomenal musicians. Is there anyone that stands out in your mind, whether they're, you know, famous or they're not, or someone that you had sort of seen in the studio and been wowed by? Um, There's so many. Like, I honestly, like, it's one of the cool things about what I do. I remember, like, I work with Flea and... he the Chili Peppers. Yeah, man. They came, hide out the whole studio. So you had Frushanti was in one studio with my buddy Mike Morgan, who's another engineer, and Josh Klinghoff was in there and they were working on some stuff together. And Flea was upstairs with me making a song for a Bootsy Collins, like, bass tribute album thing. And he kind of did a bunch of bass ideas and we all know what, you know, we've all, we all know Flea's a bass monster. But then he would just like, go, oh, is there, you know, is there a guitar and just play a guitar? I'm like, oh man, I, of course, I suppose it's a, just like a bass. But then he played his trumpet. I knew he played trumpet, but just how proficient he was. Kind of just, you know, anything he's doing, he's like, okay, I'm beatboxing and he's internal, like 
rhythm. Like he yeah. could lay down a beat from his voice over the top of a, a track he'd play on trumpet and it would be perfectly in sync and I'd look at it and it would grid. Like it would be, you know, meticulously Far aligned enough, to him. So yeah. Perfectly in time. Just, yeah. Like he's just, yeah. It's just uh, He's a magical creature, Flea. That's all I can say. He was magical. He had this magical energy coming off him. Very cool. I remember watching a documentary and this lady in the doc, it was a, it was a Nirvana documentary and they were, she hadn't met Kurt Cobain yet, but she said the same thing about him. She said that he was magical and there was like an, there was like a some sort of aura about him yeah. just staring at him and going, oh my God, like not only is it Kurt Cobain, but there was just something different happening yeah. with him. Yeah, it's absolutely a thing. I mean, I've, you know, you've, I've felt that on lots of people, like it's a, a tangible presence. You know, yeah. like I remember we went once Beyonce just kind of drifted into the room and it was the same thing. It was just this like, just aura. That one got me. I won't yeah. lie. I, I was like, hello. <laughs> She's like, hi, how are you? I'm like, yeah. and it was, I just heard everyone crack up at me. And then when I went back, eventually went back in there, just gave me so much crap. I'm like, yeah, it's Beyonce. Yeah. Like, yeah, we know. Also surprise element. Like if you know they're coming, you prepare yourself, you go yeah. through their catalog, you practice your, what you're going to say to them. I mean, and you do, but that was just caught me off guard. I was just like, Oh, man. What was she doing in the studio that day? There was like a massive tour that Jay-Z was here for. I think it was Rock the Block. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was. So there was like Rihanna. and So he had a bunch of people that I, he'd bring into the studio all the time. And, you know, I was meeting all these people. It was just like, wow, this is like a who's who of like yeah. just cool entertainment, you know. And she was really nice too. Like you, you could see how embarrassed I was about the whole thing. <laughs> Did you go red or? I left before I know what colour I went, but <laughs> no, I just I just pulled myself together and went back. It's like, all right, I got a job to do. It's Beyonce, man. Like of it was course. crazy. Yeah, I reckon everyone would be the same, if not worse. So I think you did pretty well. Now we were talking Studio 31 up, but uh, great studio that's in Sydney uh, and it has been for years. One Flight Up, uh, that's where I was recording with you all that time mm-hmm. ago. Um, how, how are things at One Flight Up going? Yeah, things are going good. The studio's moved now, not far away from where it was. Um, Nick's built a really great space down the road which is amazing like it sounds amazing he's a lovely fella he's, he's a, good, he's a good, good man guy. he's looked after me yeah it was one of those great sort of uh you know partnerships that you just stumble on i just kind of yeah, went through yeah, one moved been, you have been together for, for yeah it was like 2016 or the end of 2016 i started working there in 2017 and then we just you know he's he just really looks out. like he he's an engineer so he understands that's kind of his main concern is like making sure that I'm happy and everything's working and it's really nice. I mean, you don't get that in every studio because they're bigger and there's a lot of moving parts but because it's just him and I. And clientele, has it changed from the back end of the pandemic? Like uh, are, you, are you working with just solo artists or are you finding that you're working with more bands? Um, how has that changed or has it changed? For me, it's definitely changed, yeah. I think, you know, you always see things from your own little bubble and stuff, your own tower, but it does seem like there's been a bit of a shift towards more of the solo thing. I know there's still bands, but I also find with a lot of them it's sort of driven creatively by one or two people. Yep. I suppose with bands it was hard 
to jam during the pandemics yeah. together yeah. Yeah, in rooms. So I suppose that's maybe that's the reason more solos are, are I, coming out. I think so. I think it just, yeah, pushed a lot of people to like, I don't want to stop making music. I mean, that's most of the people I'm talking about. I know that we're like, I don't want to stop, but my band's not going to do anything for a while. We might have shows, so I'm going to focus on finishing my album I started two years ago or writing a whole bunch of new stuff because I've got time and I'm at home. Well, Tim Carr, thank you very much for uh, inviting me into your home, the one that you built yourself. <laughs> and, yeah, really interesting chat. Uh, you're a great fella. You do great things for the music scene. I'm blushing. Um, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast. If you want to check out Tim Carr, he's at uh, One Flight Up Studios. Um, and let's go and get some burgers. Thanks, Big Sean. Let's do this. See, what I say, he's a pretty good fella. That's Tim Carr. Thanks, mate. And look, don't feel bad about going red when you saw Beyonce. Um, I probably would have fainted. So you did exceptionally well. Good on you, mate. Uh, we will talk again soon. And anyone else out there, maybe you're a musician. Maybe you've just got lyrics. Maybe you've got some idea in your head. You've always wanted to release a song. Tim Carr's your man. Hit him up. He will do a really professional job for you. He does tracking. He does mixing, mastering. He does the whole lot. Hit him up. One Flight Up Studios. I'd also like to mention here, and no, I'm not getting paid for this, but I thought that we mentioned those burgers so many times throughout the podcast that it would only be fair that we uh, gave you the opportunity to go and try those burgers and let me know whether those burgers are the best burgers in Australia. So the place is called The Rice Pantry. It's at St. Peter's. It is at 705 slash 75 Mary Street. So get back to me. Go and have a burger there. Let me know if they're the best burgers you've ever had. I think they are. And like I said, they're not sponsoring me. Maybe when you go there, you could say, hey, um, Tim and Sean sent me here. And then they'll be like, who the hell's that? And then if we can get an influx of people going to get burgers from the pantry, then Tim and I will get free burgers. I know you don't really get much out of that, but, um, you know, we love burgers. Do it for us. Do it for us. Anyways, it's time for this. All right, so Lewis has written in. He is from Brazil. He says, I'm a big fan of you and your music. I really want to have the opportunity to listen to the music up close. Well, you're in luck, Lewis, because the Ritzy Kids have a gig at the Bridge Hotel on September 30 in Sydney. I know it's 15,000 kilometres away from... <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but it is a long way. It's a long flight. Look, hopefully one day the Ritzy Kids can travel to Brazil you can bring your friends and sing along. Look, there might not be any more than you and your friends in the in the crowd, but that's okay. We all have a good time. I also just want to say thank you to the people that turned up to my little solo show about two weeks ago uh, at a little restaurant in Terrigal. It was uh, it was fantastic to see some people turn up, especially on a school night. It was a Wednesday night and uh, we enjoyed some tacos and then I played a live set. First time in two years I've been on stage. I played uh, a couple of ritzy kids songs and I also played some solo music. Some of those songs I actually uh, recorded with Tim Carr. I played a few of those those tracks there, but I just want to say a, a personal shout out to that group that uh, that came along, my friends. It was really, really special to have you there. All right, that's the end of this episode. Hopefully, you enjoyed it, and hopefully, you come back next week. Ta-da. Mm-hmm.